Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I'm joined today by Liana Carr. Um, you may have heard of Liana. If you are on Instagram, you might have seen kind of Alberto Nunez sharing some of her things, or you might already be following her. She is a good friend of kind of Team 3DMJ, who obviously the whole team have been on the podcast and good friends with many of our previous guests. She is also a master's, she has a master's rather in sports exercise psychology, which is awesome. Um, she's a competitive powerlifter. She is a natural figure pro and a mental performance and fitness coach herself and puts out fantastic information. And we had to bring her on because she's going to provide you guys with a load of value. So, uh, Liana, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well, Steve, and I'm really, really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Cool. And is there anything else I missed? Is there anything you kind of want to let the listeners know about you? Um, no, I think it's funny because a lot of people, they kind of ask me, you know, what, what do I do? Or, you know, I go back home and I see friends that I went to school with and I'm like, okay, so what is it that you're exactly doing now? And it's kind of, I'm sure you can relate this topic and a host of things, um, that is a little difficult to explain, but I think you've got it right. I, um, I'm an athlete myself, so I'm a figure competitor. I'm a pro in the WMBF and I've, um, done, quite a bit of powerlifting meets. So I like to you know, just dabble in the performance aspect as well. I have a coaching company where I coach many women all over the world, um, you know, just to help them reach their goals in a way that, you know, is not only evidence-based and sustainable, but while also keeping their mental health a priority. Um, and I also work with little kids as well. So I work with adolescent age girls and kind of just teach them how to be strong, um, both physically and mentally while helping improve their emotional and psychological well-being. So yeah, awesome. I think you hit the nail on the head. Thank you. Uh, I think Liana is a great role model for loads of women. I, th I think there's role model, like good role models for men and women, but I think particularly for women nowadays, it's something that's important. Um, and talking about the kind of mental performance aspects and the psychology is definitely something we want to get into. Um, I know it's something that you present across like the US um, on as well. So I'm really excited to talk about that. And the first kind of topic, I guess, introduction, I guess it's a very broad thing. So it might take a bit of a back and forth, but is mm -hmm. going into, I think a lot of people see competitors or they've heard about competing and they've kind of heard about the physiological downsides and they know it's kind of hard work on that kind of side. But I think, especially for first time competitors, they don't realize how much of a psychological toll it can take. On us. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to, if there's anything you particularly want to start off with on that topic or just dive in. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that I can obviously relate to my own experience and there, you, you know, you as a competitor, as well as a bodybuilder and as a coach to bodybuilders, um, you can definitely attest to the fact that there is a very strong psychological component to bodybuilding um, that maybe a lot of our coaches didn't really warn us about before we got into it um, or something that, you know, we might've just had to have done a contest prep, have dealt with the psychological turmoils that kind of come with a contest prep. Oops. Um, and you know, that we kind of realize like, okay, maybe this, the sport isn't or is for us. Right. Um, I think when it comes to just going through a contest prep or even like a prolonged period of dieting, you know, there's, there's plenty of research that shows that there is a lot of psychological effects that come through it. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the Minnesota semi-starvation experiment, right? Okay. Yeah. So, and I think for any, for any listeners, just to put a little bit of background um, on that, who may not know what that is, um, essentially it was a research experiment done, I believe in the 1940s. And essentially researchers wanted to see what, um, 
happened during a semi-starvation period psychologically. So essentially the effects that starvation had on a person's psychology and their behaviors. Um, you know, they had, I believe, 30 or so participants who were volunteers to undergo a six-month semi-starvation period, um, eating about 1,600 calories worth of food. And they kind of documented all of the behavioral changes that happened um, throughout that period, as well as the refeeding period. Um, and as well as, you know, the physiological effects of it. And I think that this was extremely important. You know, the experiment wasn't done in vain. You know, it wasn't done because these these people wanted to get as lean as possible or they wanted to step on stage for a show. Um, but it was done because World War II was just thriving across, you know, the nation. And researchers wanted to find the way, you know, the best way to rehab um, people across the country who had gone through a semi-starvation period. And as you probably already know, um, the results that they found found when it came to um, going through a dieting phase were pretty, pretty spectacular to see. And it was pretty mind blowing. Um, you know, the attitudes towards food changed completely. I think that they saw that many of the research or participants, um, they, they became engulfed and they were just fantasized about food. All they did was talk about food. They would go into the dining halls and they would you know, steal menus or cookbooks, and they would look at, you know, these menus for a long period of time. And, you know, they, they just had this infatuation with the food um, across the board. I think all of them developed some sort of binge eating disorder um, on a very, on a varying level. So they experienced some uncontrollable urges to eat um, up to, you know, 7,000 calories over their allotted period of food that they were given. Um, all of them across the board experienced body dysmorphic disorders. So they not only didn't really realize how much weight they had lost by the end of it, uh, but afterwards when they were refeeding, a lot of them felt like they were fat or they felt like they had extremely negative body image um, and they didn't really like themselves. And there were just like a host of other issues when it came to social isolation, depression, um, and all those things. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not apples to apples, right? Like I can't say that, you know, contest prep is exactly mimicking that particular, um, experiment, but I think that you can probably attest that you may have experienced some of those things yourself after a contest prep, or you have clients who have done the same. Yeah. I think that that study is one that's not ever going to be replicated just because of the kind of consequences it led to just wouldn't, sure. <laughs> ethics, wouldn't, right. yeah, yeah. ethics wouldn't let it happen. But I guess we have enough, like you said, self-experimentation with whoever's competed before anecdote from other people and lots of the kind of the talk, things you talked about there with the menus, it's now transitioned to just people scrolling through online. I know mm -hmm. I was going down on like, it would be American sweet stores where I could find all the American goodies and people I've, I've seen competitors go out and buy kind of different desserts and like foods to have after their shows and things. And it, mm -hmm. it just goes to show the crazy um, thing that like having a, de a deficit for a prolonged period of time and really um, pushing yourself to those limits does have a massive impact on your psychology as well. Um, yeah. So food focus is a massive one, but then you talked about uh, eating disorders. Uh, do you think kind of, have you had much experience with people developing true eating disorders after a contest prep or do you feel like it's something that's maybe a bit transitional? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, to kind of bring it back, like if you, were to ask any sort of researcher or clinician or an actual psychologist or even just general population, right? They will tell you that they have 
a pretty unnegotiable premise that bodybuilding is inherently pathological, meaning that weighing your food out to the gram or counting every single thing that you eat or having an intense preoccupation with the way that you look or even what you were saying, um, you know, kind of using cheat meals as a glorified binge eating, you know, disorder under the guise of that, I think that they would tell you like it's inherently going to lead to a life filled with eating disorders or body dysmorphia. Um, do I agree with that? Um, well, yeah, kind of, because I, I mean, I've been around the fitness industry long enough to know that some of the most healthy looking people physically are some of the most messed up mentally. Um, but I do also believe that it's really important to understand the premise under which these behaviors occur to see whether or not a true psychological disorder is happening or whether or not it's just a conditional behavior that's needed to do well at a sport. Okay. And I think, you know, like looking at bodybuilding, um, I think it kind of depends, you know, it depends on the person and it depends on the reasoning why you want to compete. But I do see bodybuilding as a sport and like any other sport out there, you look at high level Olympians, you look at football players, whatever it is, um, there's going to be a level of disordered habits. You know, there's going to be a level of, you know, just changing your dietary habits in a way that will help you perform better. And then obviously when it comes to bodybuilding, like you have to be preoccupied with food. You have to pretty much know exactly what you're taking in and you have to, you know, pay attention to these small details that might look a little disordered to people who don't know what it is. Um, but it's an imperative part of doing the sport. So I think, um, when it comes to eating and itself, um, yeah, absolutely. I would say that every single bodybuilder that competes and does well in the sport has some sort of disordered eating, and that's not by my, you know, definition, but that's clinically. But um, I think that there's also a, a distinction between disordered eating and an actual eating disorder, which is happening over a longitudinal period of time, um, and that's just by these habits, you know, continuing to be displayed and not being able to kind of take that hat off, you know, after a show. Um, and I think it all kind of comes down to just proper coaching and education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I absolutely agree. I think a lot of the, the things that are disordered in nature are kind of a requirement for the sport to get to those lean levels. You kind of need to have that absolute precision and control. Um, and I think, like you said, a lot of competitors would agree with that. And I think um, and you can maybe talk to some of the skill, the kind of tools you use as a coach and how to. Mm -hmm. Um, allow someone to kind of transition understand that that is a requirement and how to then come out of maybe a show and transition into maybe an off-season period where that sort of dis degree of precision and maybe kind of slightly disordered behaviors isn't required because um, it can be uh, you see competitors kind of go from being completely on in control and completely like that and then they're actually at the other end of like the disordered eating where they have no control and then they are doing yeah. the binging and there needs to be that kind of middle ground I think. Yeah, it's, um, it's very black and white, like you said. And I mean, I guess it takes that kind of personality to even want to do bodybuilding in the first place. It takes an yeah. extreme person. Um, but like you said, it's very important to be able to know um, when you're kind of crossing that line because it's pretty thin. And I think, um, you know, I, like I said, I think it all kind of comes down to proper coaching. You know, if you are a bodybuilding coach, if you say that you are competent enough to give somebody a training plan or give somebody a meal plan, um, and you will take them from point A to point B and you're responsible for changing their physical health and their physiology, physiology, 
then it's extremely important to realize that you also have a responsibility for taking care of their mental health as well. Um, because you know, so many coaches, like they hear, they hear anything that has to do with eating disorders or body dysmorphia and they say, Oh, I'm not qualified to do that. I'm, you know, that's not in my, my scope of practice where like, yeah, granted you might not be a psychologist, but if you are coaching an athlete and you're getting them shredded on stage and you're helping them reach their goals, but they're leaving you, um, with an eating disorder or, you know, like just way worse off than they started, then that is on you. Um, so I think when it comes to, I guess, just a couple things regarding eating, right? And like, and, and trying to make a prep as healthy as possible, right? Because it's not, it's not healthy, but I think just like being as healthy as possible, there are some precautions that a coach um, does kind of have a responsibility for. Um, kind of what you said, like the first one is just making sure that food focus um, isn't too extreme with your athletes. You know, if you see an athlete constantly posting about what they're wanting, they're wanting to eat after a show, or if they're, you know, talking to you about how they can't stop looking at food, which is, I think something that most competitors do, you'll lay in bed and kind of look at food porn and you kind of like glorify all this food. I think one, it's important to realize like you're not doing anything productive for yourself, uh, because the more that you look at highly palatable foods, the more you're going to have an ex extreme craving for it. And like, obviously, hopefully if you're in a contest prep, you're not going to, you know, like go after that craving. But at the same time, what do you think you're going to be craving when you get done with the show, when you don't have a restriction or like, you know, guideline that I have to stay on my diet, um, you know, during a prep, like, what are you going to be craving? You're going to be just ha having way more cravings by doing that. And I think, um, just making sure that, you know, we're not glorifying binge eating habits. Um, if, if a, your client is constantly binge eating on the weekends, um, diminishing their food and trying to, you know, make up for that, um, by doing damage control, like that's not doing anything productive to them. Instead, that's kind of saying, you know, it's okay if you do this thing, we can just do damage control. Um, and it's kind of overlooking their, their, own, um, you know, just relationship with food. And maybe it's kind of, you know, a warning sign to say like they shouldn't be competing in the first place. Mm -hmm. No, I, absolutely. I think touched on many good points. And I think it is just like you said, it, if you haven't got a coach, I think it's then difficult, but there are even people who have coaches who get left at that kind of, they, they get them to stage and then they have no one to then guide them afterwards. And then Many people have talked about that post-show period being just as hard, if not harder, than the actual contest prep period. Um, I think it's made a million times harder when you don't know what to expect afterwards and you don't have any guidance there. So yeah. the transition between and not thinking of it as black and white on and off is definitely For a great sure. thing. And I guess that's been developed upon with like flexible dieting, although that kind of term has been a bit kind of got, become a bit kind of badly used with interchange, interchangeably with if it fits your macros and things like this and people get it a little bit wrong. But I think yeah. just small things like understanding that after the show, it's okay that you kind of transition kind of those foods that you might have had in your off season slowly that you kind of mm -hmm. you do have a, a recovery diet like the guys at 3dmj use and i i assume you have something similar that you use with your athletes as well um yeah. because i think a lot of the problems of food focus at least can be solved by getting you to like a healthy body fat percentage where your hunger's not Absolutely. always there and um although all of these things take time i'm sure you can attest to that as well yeah, for sure. And I think like just another huge thing is just being 
in a good place with your relationship with food before you even compete in the first place. Um, if somebody emails you, you know, and they're telling you like, Hey, I want to do a prep. I want to do a show. Um, I, and if you ask them, you know, what their reasoning is and they say like, Oh, they don't really feel comfortable in their selves and their bodies, which I think, I mean, most people might not even admit that, but I think that's a huge reason why people prep in the first place. Or if you ask them about their off season eating habits, I think that that's a huge telltale of if they should be able to compete. Because like you said, habits or, you know, just the way that you eat shouldn't be a black or white, you know, a light switch when you start a prep, you know, and I think that it's important to have good eating habits outside of a prep. So are you, you know, I think there are a couple of extremes, like one, are you just eating whatever you want to eat and just gaining like very consistently in an off season and just, you know, not really caring about tracking at all and just, you know, eating whatever, um, or two, like the person who, weighs every single thing out to the gram in their off season as well, you know, and they're afraid to go out in social situations and eat. They're afraid to put themselves um, in a place where they can't control all the factors because it gives them anxiety. It gives them, you know, or, or maybe if they, they do um, go into that situation, they end up binge eating or they end up, you know, doing something to an extreme. I think it's really important to understand like what their eating habits are in their off season because it, really shouldn't change that much during a prep. Um, I saw like, for example, you know, Birdo's prep last, last year. Um, it was pretty mind blowing because I've never really seen somebody just transition so fluidly into a contest prep, you know, for, for the first few months, I like forgot he was even dieting because all that behaviors and habits that he had during his contest prep that makes him a good bodybuilder, you know, like those are things that he practices kind of all the time. Mm -hmm. To an, to an extent, um, but at the same time, you know, he, he doesn't restrict himself to like a certain body weight, like in that off season, or he doesn't restrict himself to something that's too extreme. And I think that, you know, when it comes to, like you said, the recovery diet, that's why I think it's so important to, you know, be able to transition after a show in a way that, you know, kind of tells your client it's, it's okay. If you gain weight, it's actually necessary for you in order to become just normal and achieve like your bodily like health. Um, and I think that it's so important to do that. And I think if more coaches told their clients that it was okay to gain weight, they wouldn't be so afraid. And I think that weight gain wouldn't be as stigmatized post-show as it is. Mm -hmm. No, brilliant. And I think, um, I don't know about you, Liana, but I think because there is, there's a lot of information out there now. And I think there are like a large portion of athletes, at least that are exposed to kind of all of these things that we're talking about. Um, but I still see even those who are exposed to maybe the, the great information, they still kind of slip up and they find it really difficult. And I think in those scenarios, I think for some people, it's just being very honest with themselves in that maybe you need a coach because sometimes um, I've had clients, for example, who know they can go and eat out. They know they can do these things, so they just need me to say it's okay and just need like almost just like the green pass from someone who they trust and respect yeah. to tell them that. Have you had, do you see that happening as well? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, obviously with every competition season, you know, I've done, and then I see, you know, some of the good, you know, bodybuilders and figure competitors that I look up to, um, it gets easier with time, you know, every single season, it's, it's easier to get leaner and it's easier to kind of transition, um, into a phase where you're like actually normal, but that's, that's, you know, I think it, like I said, it, it comes 
with a lot of time and a lot of experience. And I think even, even the best bodybuilders, like they have coaches, they have somebody who has, you know, an objective eye, because as you know, like, I mean, are you prepping right now? Actually? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, for not. some reason I thought you were. Okay. Not for a while. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. I don't know why I thought that, but well, as you know, cause you have, you know, before it's, it's really easy to lose objectivity while you're prepping, especially um, as you get leaner, especially as you know, your own body image and the way that you perceive yourself, um, it tends to become a little skewed and that's not your fault. That's not anything to be ashamed of. As we've already talked about, it's literally a part and it's, it's a byproduct of going through a semi-starvation period. Um, but it's important to have somebody there to kind of guide you and to kind of tell you like when you're losing a little bit of your objectivity. And I think that it does help having a coach there who, understands all of the psychological things that come with competing understands that it's not normal. You know, like your client binge eating and gaining 40 pounds, like within a week after a show, like that's not something to laugh about. And unfortunately, like I've, I've seen coaches around my area kind of like just glorify it and think it's kind of funny to do that. And they'll laugh about it when in reality, like, yeah, some people, they can go out after a show, gain weight and be completely okay with it. Um, primarily men, I think, Um, but at the same time for a lot of competitors, women, especially, um, that kind of thing, like it it might, you know, like one, one cheat meal after show isn't going to do much. Um, but at the same time, it kind of forms into a perpetual cycle of going out to eat, um, binge eating and then restricting and then self-loathing. And it becomes, um, just a really, really hard cycle to break out of. And I think that, you know, if, if somebody would have been there for them to tell them, look, like I expect you to gain weight. I want you to gain weight after the show. They would have been in a more healthy mindset sooner. All of the physiological changes that would have came with the contest prep, they would be restored a lot faster and they'd be able to to stay in the sport for longer to see that each season, each competition prep gets easier. Mm-hmm. No, I think uh, excellent words. And I think um, a quote I always like from Jeff Alberts, actually, I think it's from Jeff, is that experience cures anxiety. And it would come from Jeff because he has a vast amount of experience in the sport. But it's completely true. I know every time I've competed after each kind of season, it just gets more and more comfortable. You know kind of what to expect. You've been there, done that in a sense. Um, But I think having some guidance, especially initially in your periods of time, it can really, really help because just having some accountability and that support and it depends on the person, what they're like. Some people are, Mm -hmm. they'll be the people that will binge after the shows. They're also, those are the the competitors who will not even reverse diet. They're just continually try and stay in that really lean position. Again, that's equally just as not healthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think yeah, like you said, it, it, it does, the anxiety does get better with more practice. And I think that, yeah, I think that more, most people, they don't, they don't stay in the sport long enough um, to realize that, or they don't see bodybuilding necessarily as a sport, which I think can completely contribute to not only how well you do in it, but also, um, you know, how healthy you stay. Because I mean, if you look at any other sport, Um, they have off seasons, you know, a football player is not thinking about his throw, you know, like when he goes home for dinner, he's able to kind of take that hat off when needed. And I think when it comes to bodybuilding, especially going from a transition period, like from prepping to an off season, it's so important to be able to take that hat off. You know, I think 
it's, it's okay. And it's very necessary to be focused on the way that you look, um, during a competition, obviously, because that's kind of what you're being judged on. And it forces you to pay more attention to detail of the little things that might make you look better on stage, but constantly obsessing about your body image in the off season and how much weight you gained and how much fat you gained. Um, one that's not good for your mental state at all. And it will contribute to developing some sort of body dysmorphic disorder if it hasn't already. But two, it prohibits you from becoming a better athlete, you know, in order to make strides in order to put on muscle, especially as a natural athlete, you have to be in a prolonged period where you're not dieting. And I think that too many people, they, they let the body image issues, um, get to them in their off season. They're not able to take that hat off. And it really just is doing nothing but prohibiting them from putting on more muscle and just becoming better because they want to do a mini cut every couple of weeks, or they want to, you know, like just go through a dieting phase or step right back into a prep because they don't necessarily feel comfortable in their off season body. No, exactly. And that's a nice transition actually to the kind of the body dysmorphia that maybe you slightly develop as you go through stage. Cause just like, you take your nutrition, you get more and more pernickety with it, you get more precise with it, the same with your physique. And you have to, again, it's just like the food. You have to eventually maybe take daily photos, maybe even check your physique more than twice, like once a day. I mean, when you're in prep, yeah. people are checking their physique every single minute of the day that they can. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And that's not something that's productive in the off season because like you said, I mean, to have a productive off season, you need to get to a healthy position. And then sometimes, and I guess this is a, a, to bring up another quote, Alberto Nunez talks about kind of how the physique that you perform your best isn't necessarily the one that you feel like you look your best in. Um, sure. And I think for men and women, this is completely true. Uh, and obviously for yourself, you've competed in powerlifting. Um, I don't know if you have any other kind of tips or kind of things you've seen that have helped people kind of get into that mindset of kind of away from kind of focusing on the physique so much and more towards that performance aspect. Yeah. Um, I definitely do. And I think that that's might be even something that, you know, not only is something that we work on in the off season, but it's also something that we can try really hard to, to work on during a prep. Um, kind of like you said, it does get to a point where people are just checking their physiques out multiple times, or even, you know, I've been guilty of this, like weighing myself in the morning and then, you know, a little later throughout the day, seeing if my weights changed after I did cardio and then it becomes like this obsessive habit of just like being so focused on either the way that you look or how your abs look or how much you weigh. Um, and while I do agree that it's, it's obviously a part of a contest prep, um, doing this obsessively isn't making you any better. Like as long as you're following your, your plan, as long as you're eating the way you're supposed to be and training the way that you're supposed to be for the most part, it's going to come together. Looking at your abs five times a day, isn't going to help at all. And all that's going to really be doing is creating habits that aren't going to necessarily just break after your competition's done. So I think, you know, this is something that I tell my clients, like I limit the amount of times you check yourself out. And I know that that's hard. Um, but do not look at yourself in the mirror unless you are sending progress pictures to me or your training, because obviously who doesn't look at themselves in their training, but I think just trying to limit the amount of occupation that we have with our bodies. Um, and, you know, your body's not going to change from day to day or like throughout the day, it's going to change over a long period of time. So I think that limiting that, um, kind of just like helps take away that preoccupation. Um, the same thing with weigh-ins, like I want you to weigh yourself 
one time a day in the morning, first thing, and I don't want you to step back on that scale. And I make that very clear to the athlete because I don't want them putting so much of an emphasis on something that's supposed to be a tool rather than something that, you know, causes anxiety because you don't weigh what you want to weigh. Um, having other goals, and this can be throughout a contest prep or in an off season, having performance goals, um, can kind of keep you objective, um, throughout a prep. Like for me, like I, I always train kind of like a powerlifter. I always squat bench and deadlift, um, no matter the phase I'm in, I just kind of turn down the volume dial as to, you know, like what's necessary for me and what keeps my body healthy and safe while I'm losing weight, but having performance goals. Um, and it sounds like it sounds weird, right? But I, I created actually um, a spreadsheet for some of my clients and like it, it might sound very vanilla, but I think um, one thing I realized was that my clients, they only said positive things about themselves when they were shredded, right? Because you get all this validation. You only, you know, when, especially when you're preppy and like you're just popular, everybody wants to tell you how good you look. Um, so this is something that I have all my clients do. And I do coach primarily female athletes, but I think that men could definitely contribute to, and, you know, gain something from this as well. But I have them list out positive affirmations throughout a prep. So at the very beginning stages, when they're 30 pounds over contest weight, like I want you to look at yourself and you can fill this in three times a week, whatever it is. But I want you to tell me three things that you like about yourself. Um, and then just kind of keep that a constant cycle because there's so much research that says that positive self-talk and positive affirmations can really undo a lot of those negative thought processes. Um, so that's one. And then going back to the goals, I'm having performance goals, having goals outside of fitness in itself. Like I want to hear about those. Like I'm not, you know, I, I'm not just concerned with your training and your, your nutrition, but I want to hear about other things that are going on in your life. I think that when you're an empathetic coach and you kind of try to get that out of your athlete as well, and you emphasize the importance of having other goals when it comes to like work or school or whatever it is, then it kind of, um, makes an athlete realize like, okay, holy cow, like I shouldn't only just be concerned about the way that I look. I shouldn't only be concerned about my prep. There are other things in my life that I be, need to be grooming and taking care of as well. No, I, I love that. And I love the approach of, um, I never, th I, I never see being vanilla as a negative. I think uh, I've been called vanilla many a time, <laughs> um, because of, I, I think, it's just being very empathetic does make you maybe yeah. a little bit vanilla and you it shows you care about your clients so i really like that idea of thinking about kind of positive things about themselves that isn't just their physique because i think particularly it is the case for females where they do maybe get potentially more attention from men probably things like this whereas a lot of the time for men in the off season it's all about being like thick about being like mm -hmm. bulky and people actually comment that they prefer them looking this way they don't look so gaunt and things like this whereas yeah. i'm not sure it's quite the same for females um so definitely yeah. focusing on those performance aspects and yeah i mean not only is performance better when you're in a fed environment but just mm -hmm. your ability to be more productive in every element of your life to enjoy more flexibility, eating out, socializing with friends, family, these sort of things. I think they're absolutely things you should be focusing on because um, not only do you have the energy for it, you also have way more time if you're doing like lots of yeah. cardio or anything like that. Um, or your workouts just end up taking forever because you have like infinite rest periods and things like this. Okay. Um, for sure. So something yeah. we haven't talked about yet was kind of um, some of maybe the more specific things to females is kind of during 
the period of dieting quite often i mean women sometimes even lose their uh, menstrual cycle during just any like regular diet um and it comes mm-hmm. quite frequently back some people don't end up losing it at all um have what's your experience with this i know you've kind of had some experience with this and just is there any kind of points of tips and things that you can give to other women that might be listening yeah i think um I guess just to talk about my own personal experience first, um, I remember during my first my first dieting phase and my first competition prep, I remember thinking that losing my period was a good thing because it meant that I was lean enough. Um, and I remember like I certainly did within the first few months of eating. Now, obviously, I look back and that was a red flag. Um, but I remember kind of thinking like, okay, this is, this is part of the sport. This is just a part of it. I'm going to lose my period and that means I'm doing it right. Um, clearly, now I look back at those days and I'm like, holy cow, that was so skewed. Um, I wish somebody would have, I wish I would have had a coach that would have told me otherwise. But I think that, um, especially when it comes to amenorrhea, it's something that is very prevalent in our sport, in our industry. And it's something that's almost kind of normalized, um, because people think that having low levels of body fat contribute to that. Um, everything I know is from Lyle McDonald's woman's book. Um, it's an awesome book, but, but as we all know it, There's more research now that shows it's not necessarily body fat, but it's just not having enough energy availability. Um, So I think that when it comes to losing your period, like many people, they think that, okay, like it's just a part of it because I'm dieting because I don't have, you know, I obviously don't have enough energy availability, but I think people kind of disregard all the negative things that can kind of come with not having a healthy menstrual cycle, like the bone mineral density, like you're, you're going to lose that. Um, and just, you're just going to be more prone to experiencing injuries. And I think that those things, a lot of those things are irreversible and a lot of people just aren't educated enough to kind of know that better. Um, throughout the next couple preps, I was able to keep a period for a lot longer. Um, I did lose them towards the end, but I think that being realizing that, you know, losing your period necessarily isn't a good thing. Um, obviously if you have a healthy menstrual cycle, um, you'll just be in a better position for fat loss in the first place, which most women don't really understand that. Um, but you're also going to keep yourself and your, your body safe to continue doing this for long term. So I think that, you know, first not necessarily seeing it as a good thing. Um, obviously not realizing that or not thinking like, okay, this is like terrible. If I lose my period, I don't need to be prepping at all because as we know, most women do experience that, but also realizing the importance of prioritizing, getting your period back, getting a healthy menstrual cycle back after the competition is done because people, you know, they'll, I mean, I've heard horror stories of women like not having menstrual cycles for years and it's just, and they don't think anything of it, you know? And I think for many people, if that is you, if that's something that, you know, you did lose, your first priority after stepping on stage is to regain healthy menstrual cycles, you know, and I think that being able to understand that that's a priority, and that's just as important as my prep was, you know, I should, I should try to just delegate my efforts with just as much consistency and urgency as I did when I was prepping and I was waking up every single morning. Um, now my goal is to simply get my menstrual cycle back. And I think that, you know, a lot of girls, we, they, they prolong that, you know, they prolong that period because they're afraid to gain weight after their show, or they're not really understanding that just because you're eating more like three days of the week, because 
you're, you know, uncontrollably eating and you're gaining weight after those, but then you're, you're going into a deficit the rest of the four days. Like that's not a consistent, um, enough threshold of energy availability to promote healthy menstrual function. So that's, you know, that's something to also take into consideration. Yeah, I think it, it's just something, and I'm glad you're talking about it. And um, I'm glad Lyle did his book on it because it just needs further education. And it surprises me that women don't know. And it's become Lyle who's ended up doing the book. And it's not obviously yeah. a female that's even done it. Um, and uh, it's incredible that a lot of the time there's not that awareness. And I think just that awareness that you've kind of talked about how it's not something wanted. It's kind of, it is a negative thing, but it's to be mm -hmm. managed and potentially like expected because... I think for men, it's similar in some ways to like the libido and how we're expected to lose it. And like, it's kind of like some people when that happens, it's kind of like they see it as a positive thing. And really, it's something that you want to avoid as much as possible to get to your goal and maintain those sort of healthy aspects of your life as best as possible. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. certainly after your show is done, it's something you want to bring back as soon as possible because having abnormal kind of hormonal environments isn't productive for muscle growth um for either individuals so um yeah getting that kind of recovery diet prioritizing those sort of things not only is it going to build you towards kind of future times on stage it's also going to make you feel so much better in the meantime mm -hmm. um yeah is there any strategies you use kind of obviously you talked about how you managed to maintain it much more so during your later preps what kind of things did you do to try and kind of keep that going yeah, I think, um, and I think that this is also something that maybe male coaches might not do as good of a job at. I mean, I can't, I'm obviously not speaking for everyone, but I think when it comes to menstrual cycles and just regularity, that was something that my first coach never really asked me about. You know, I had to bring it up to him four months down the road, like, Hey, by the way, I'm not having a period. Whereas that's something that a responsible contest prep coach should constantly be checking in on, you know? Um, and I think that, you know, at least for my last prep and then also what I do for my athletes now, if an athlete misses, you know, a period in a month, um, I will say like, okay, like maybe it's time for a diet break. And I don't know the science behind that at all. Um, but I think that, you know, having just an increased level of um, calories in and having an increased level of energy availability for even like a week's period of time, most of my athletes have said, you know what, I started my menstrual cycle the next week, you know, oh, and it was actually, cool. yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's <laughs> Birdo actually, he, I know he does the exact same thing with his athletes. He calls it period resuscitation. <laughs> but like, that's something that I've realized that actually works, you know, and like the only way that you can even kind of make strides towards making sure that that stays as regular as possible for as long as possible is one checking up on it consistently. So every, you know, every month I'll check in on that and say, how is this going? Have you gotten it yet? I know all of my clients' menstrual cycles, um, schedules, and it's something that, you know, in order to make sure that you're on top of it and you're, you know, the first sign of a irregular menstrual cycle, trying to do something about it just then and there, it might set you back a couple of days um, in terms of progress, but long term, um, it'll keep the athlete healthier. And what I've seen, the athlete tends to make more progress the longer that they have healthier hormones. So that's something that, you know, I'll do, I do for all my athletes during a prep. 
I think diet breaks for myself as well. And even in my last contest prep and with my competitors, they've been almost like, I hate saying the term game changer. It seems to be way overused, but they have been really, really powerful for doing mm -hmm. that and for keeping people healthy. So I'm glad you brought those up. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've had any, have you had any particular experiences with uh, women who have been maybe just unable to ever get their period back or you've had to do anything particularly different um, to rather than just kind of increasing calories have yet to do any other strategies of like lowering training volume or lowering stress those sort of things yeah absolutely I've I mean most of my athletes um you know have some sort of irregularity and that's something that I kind of prioritize I've actually had a couple coaches coming to me and saying like look like you know my my athletes they're they're having they haven't had a period in a while um obviously I'm not an expert on ever claim that I am an expert but I do know that an increase of calories and then it just lowering training volume and also just external stress is also extremely imperative to regaining normal menstrual function. So, you know, if they're, if they're training, you know, maybe five times a week, lowering that threshold to minimizing the amount of training stress that they have, that's another thing you can do. Um, and then also just trying to minimize stress from just daily life things. Obviously after a show, um, from what I've seen in most people, if you have, you know, a job, right, that requires some stress from you. Um, most people just have their own internal stress when it comes to gaining weight in the first place, or like, you know, you're still dealing with the consequences of that prep. And you you're just stressed out about, you know, not not having a show anymore, or feeling like you've lost your athletic identity or going through that phase of the like competition blues, which can be extremely stressful as well. So I think that you know, obviously eating more, lowering training stress, but just making sure that your chronic levels of stress and just like your baseline levels of stress are lowered as well. And like something I am very, you know, I, I tell everybody to do is like the importance of like meditation, the importance of, you know, just doing things, whether it be going for a walk, whether it be, you know, like guided meditation for 10 minutes a day. Um, it, there's a lot of research that shows that it can elevate your baseline levels of or happiness and chronically lower your stress as well. So I think that a lot of people, they don't really, they, you know, you put as much effort into your week as you do for training and you put a lot of effort into your week as dieting. But when it comes to taking care of your mental health, um, there are things that you can do um, deliberately that will help ensure that you have, um, you know, just like a better state of mind and better mental well-being and I think that that's something that you know if you are struggling with getting your menstrual cycle back that's another thing that you can add to the mix mm -hmm. no I, I love that and I think actually you brought up mental health and I think that's a huge I mean obviously it's an area of your expertise but it's a huge area that people just don't even really like to consider or think about um, whereas I think it's actually something that's quite important and um, it was a point I was going to potentially come to later, but I know you've talked about on your Instagram about like unplugging. And I know personally, um, I've had like not, I'd never say anything particularly bad, but like I get a little bit anxious sometimes when I haven't answered emails or maybe I've got some Instagram DMs and I've got notifications that I'm kind of like, I need to like do all of these. And sometimes it can become a little bit overwhelming. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of things have you found to be really beneficial for keeping your kind of mental health in a really good state? Yeah, I think um, anxiety can come in a lot of forms, kind of like what you said when it comes to just having too many things on your plate and not really knowing um, where to deliberate your 
your, your focus to, and then also like anxiety when it comes to the whole bodybuilding thing, like we talked about having anxiety around food or having anxiety around gaining weight. And I think all of those things, um, they kind of become intertwined and it can be for a lot of people very stressful and just kind of make symptoms work, you know, worse. And people don't really take the time to just focus on creating like a healthy balance when it comes to their mental well-being. So for me, like I said, like I, I've found that meditation is something that I do every single morning and every single night, just, you know, like it doesn't even have to be long, like five to 10 minutes of just closing your eyes, breathing, and just feeling very present in the moment. Um, it can, you know, just it, obviously while you're doing that, you're not thinking about your stressors. You're not thinking about all the things that you have on your plate. You're being very present in the moment. And I think that that in itself just, amplifies the amount of gratitude that you have, um, just in your everyday lives. Uh, for me, ever since I moved out to Colorado, I've been extremely into hiking, uh, one, because I realized I'm terrible at it <laughs> and my endurance was just not very good when I first started and just like being immersed in nature. Um, and, you know, just being able to like feel very insignificant in a world that I, I, that revolves around me essentially because of my own ego, because I think that all the issues that I have in my everyday life, like they're the most important things in the world. It kind of makes you take a step back and kind of humbles you and learns, you know, you learn a whole new appreciation um, for that as well. So I think, you know, I, I know obviously not everybody can go out in their backyard to a beautiful mountain. I'm very fortunate to live in Colorado, but just like going and just taking breaks, you know, taking deliberate breaks and realizing like, it's not, you know, going on a 20, 30 minute walk might seem stressful to you because you have so many other things that you have to do on your plate, but kind of reshaping that and being like, look, like this isn't something I'm doing because like, I'm like, you know, just procrastinating. This isn't something that I'm doing that's taking away from that. It's actually something that will make me better at being able to put all those things in line and being able to, you know, get all of my tasks um, completed in a way that's less stressful and just kind of prioritizing, you know, little things that you do when it, like when it comes to training in itself and just becoming a better athlete, um, you know, visualization and mental imagery, that kind of stuff uh, before performing um, that can just make you a better athlete. It puts you more in the zone during your training session. So they're just more efficient and they're, you know, often shorter. So I think, yeah, I think just prioritizing mental health, um, little things that you can do and realizing that they are just as important as every single other thing that you have on your plate. So make sure that you get it done. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's very similar to like how you have your training days and then you need your rest days. It's like yeah. you work your mind and then you kind of need to rest your mind. It's the same with um, lots of people kind of like to think oh, I need to kind of do this much work in the day. And if sleep gets compromised, then sleep gets compromised. But then if you have your sleep, you'll be more productive in the day. So just like you were oh, yeah. saying, um, and I'm sure people listening will be like, oh, I can't afford to have 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that, but they can't afford yeah. that 20 minutes. But you probably can, and you'll probably find that you can be more efficient during the day. I'm sure um, we all have like sinkholes where we waste time. So um, for yeah, sure, I think, scrolling through Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible yeah. for it. So I'm sure the listeners can attest to that as well. Um, For the, sure. the final thing I wanted to get you to talk about, uh, Liana, and I think like I touched on at the start, I think you're a great role model for kind of females within the fitness industry, um, things like 
Instagram, for example, is getting really, really popular. And there's a lot of people kind of potentially who are influencers and I'd probably call yourself an influencer now, and which I think is fantastic because I think you're doing the right kind of role as an influencer. Mm -hmm. But how do you balance that? Because obviously certain things are very attractive and they help build you. And you could pro you could do what a lot of the, the bigger female influencers tend to do and kind of do those sort of um, shots that are potentially going to be getting the likes and getting a lot of attention. How do you balance that and keep it kind of centered around um, providing value to your audience and things like this? Yeah, I think, um, I guess just looking back, um, I've been, I guess, working out or in the industry for six or seven years now. Um, and I will say that my goals from day one to now have changed drastically in terms of my reach and in terms of, you know, what I want to do with my platform or just like my, my purpose, if you will. Um, I think before, you know, I wanted to be a really good athlete. I really wanted to be popular. I really wanted to, you know, I thought that having a sponsorship by, you know, the biggest supplement company out there would, you know, just, it would make me happy and it would fulfill my desires. Cause at the time that's kind of what I thought it was. And over the years, um, it's transitioned a lot due to a couple things. I think one, um, just being in the industry long enough to know kind of what we talked about earlier, um, that, a lot of it is very unhealthy. You know, we're in a fitness industry that kind of promotes health and well-being. And unfortunately, I've, you know, I've been to photo shoots. I've been to um, just events where I, I see the behaviors of other people and I've seen my own behaviors. And it just completely contradicts what we're advertising to the outside world. You know, people look at, you know, somebody who has a six pack of abs and they're like, holy cow, like that person has dedication and willpower and consistency. And they're just the epitome of health. Whereas you, you don't know what it took to get there. Um, you don't know their mental space. Um, you don't know if that person has a six pack of abs because they're binge eating and purging on the weekends or they're, you know, they have some sort of eating disorder. Um, and it's just very skewed. Um, and I think also like the more, the more, I guess, popularity I've kind of gained from it, the more I've realized my responsibility for taking control of my own actions. And I guess I've just like realized what I essentially want to do. You know, nobody wants to be popular just to be popular. What is, what is the point of that? You know, obviously I could, and I've kind of taken a hiatus from posting as much on social media because it's still something I'm trying to, I'm struggling with, you know, I'm trying to find my place in the direction that I want to go where I can still help people where I can still be a positive influence and just, you know, be, be something or be someone that people look up to, but also I'm not contributing to an industry that I don't necessarily agree with. Right. Um, and a lot of that has honestly come from like my work with kids, um, just to kind of talk a little bit about the organization I work for. Um, it's called smart fit girls. It's a after school program. It's a nonprofit, um, founded by my good friends, Chrissy Tard and Kelly Walters. And essentially the whole premise of the program is to help improve the physical, psychological and emotional well-being of middle school girls. Um, so obviously, you know, there's a lot of importance when it comes to being physically active in your adolescent years. And we've, as I've known, like the, the most empowering form of physical activity for myself has been lifting weights because it's a, it's a way to 
you know, focus on what the body is capable of doing as opposed to only working out to get smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, my, my direction kind of changed when I started working with them about three years ago, because I realized, um, a lot of these girls, they, they had the same role models that I did, you know, when I first started in the fitness industry, a lot of these girls were seeing, you know, the popular fitness models who have thousands and thousands and millions of followers on Instagram and they're idolizing them and they're comparing themselves to these women and they're, you know, developing this mindset. Like I will be better when I look more like her Mm -hmm. or I will be better when my body changes and I lose weight. And it's really heartbreaking to ask, you know, an 11 year old girl. Um, so what do you love about yourself though? So not looking at other people, but what is it that you love about yourself and then not really being able to come up with an answer, you know, or, or saying, you know, I'll, I'll love myself and I know I'll be happier when I look more like this person. So I think that, you know, I think, I think social media is great. I think that our, the rise in just the fitness industry in itself and competing has, has been amazing because it encourages more people to get out there and to move and to just take care of their bodies. But I do think that there's a lot of, just just concentration on health as a form of looking a certain way, whereas health um, comes in many different aspects, you know, like it comes in just being able to move and be able to use your body because you're grateful for your physical abilities that are unique to you. Um, you know, not only seeing eating as a way to look a certain way or to lose weight, but as a nourishment to your body, because it's literally the only one you've got. So I think that when it comes to just my own, presence of my own goals in the industry. Like I want to provide information to people who, uh, you know, who probably like I was at a time, I'm really struggling with, with, you know, all the constant pressures that society puts on you to look a certain way. I want to provide, you know, evidence-based information when it comes to training and nutrition, um, about, you know, the, a way to do it. That's not only healthy for your body, but it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to be a good role model to the little girls who found my Instagram that I work with. Um, because unfortunately there are way too many people in this industry, or even in the world who just don't really realize the impact that they have. And they don't really realize, you know, that there are younger people, the younger generation is looking up to them. And when you promote a skinny tea or a detox diet or something that just has no evidence back to it, you're selling, you're spewing out like really just invalid information. Um, but you're promoting to a culture that just isn't healthy and that will just do a lot more harm than you realize. So sorry, that was a long spiel, but it's, it's something that, you know, I've, I've, my stance on it has completely changed and I, I, over the past couple of years, I, I, you know, what I want to do, um, in terms of my impact in the industry has totally changed. And I'm still trying to think about what exactly that was, but I definitely think that my work with the kids and what I'm doing now, just studying, um, the mental aspect of exercise and fitness in itself has, you know, kind of paved a better direction for me. Well, I really respect and love that view because, uh, I think it is, it is difficult and especially when, a lot of kind of the evidence-based things and kind of having not such, I mean, people are, love extremes. So they love to be drawn to these certain areas and evidence-based fitness generally isn't. And 
having a slightly vanilla and kind of very caring and softer approach sometimes doesn't sell as well. So um, I'm really glad that you have managed to get where you are. And um, I think you're doing the right thing in kind of re- being very careful because I, I would love every influencer to have the same sort of view on things in that their words and what their actions and what they're doing really has massive impacts more than and more profound than they could ever really know because I think they really are and uh, I, I think something I'm really happy that I'm able to do is uh, really get on great people on this podcast and share that information with as broad an audience as possible uh, because yeah it's it is really difficult and I think some people struggle to cut between what someone who is inspirational and good information versus someone who's maybe inspirational but not giving you information and value that's actually going to help you and um so yeah it can be difficult at times so i I really love that view and i love what you're doing (laughs) thank you so much and i can definitely say the same for you and your podcast i mean i've been a huge fan of it for quite a while now um and i'm obviously honored that you asked me to be on here. I did suffer a little bit of imposter syndrome. (laughs) I will be honest, um, before coming on here, but I think that, you know, the biggest thing I've realized is, you know, when your intentions are good and I think that, you know, you, what you're doing with your, your podcast, you're getting the best people in their fields and you're just, just realizing and like spewing the importance of knowledge, you know, continued knowledge, continuing to learn more. I think that, you know, a lot of us, a lot of coaches, we, we often doubt our own abilities because we don't know everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't, we, we tell ourselves short or whatever it is. Um, and I think that that's because we're careful coaches, you know, and I think that, it's obviously impossible to know every single thing in the entire world um, when it comes to training and nutrition and psychology of athletes. But I think in order to become a better coach or a better, you know, just, just doing what you're doing, it's, it's so important to emphasize the importance of continued learning and education. And if you don't know something, it's okay to ask other people. It's okay to learn from people. Everything that I know, I've learned from, you know, the guys at 3DMJ, I've learned from Birdo, I've learned from my good coaches. I've learned from just literally digging in and reading, you know, research journals. I've learned from your podcast, literally. And I think that, yeah, I think what you're doing is incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thank you. No, thank you. And don't have imposter syndrome because um, you've definitely been requested to come on and you've been on my list to bring on. So thank you for coming on. And I want to make sure people know where to maybe reach out for you for coaching or learn more about the work you're doing with the children. Where's Mm -hmm. people should reach out to you? Yeah. So, um, my Instagram is at Leanna underscore car. Um, I have a website. It's actually currently under construction, but it should be up in the next couple of weeks. It's, um, ironwomanstrength.com. That's my consulting company with my, um, business partner, Brian Miner, um, who's extremely knowledgeable and smart as well in his own regards. Um, and then my email, if you ever want to reach out, that's one thing that I, you know, try to do a good job of is just, you know, helping, um, coaches helping athletes who might be struggling with these sorts of topics that we talked about, um, just giving them a direction, you know, giving them resources to, so that they can be better equipped at learning how to deal with the psychological aspects when it comes to exercise. You know, you don't have to go and get a degree, but I think it's important to be able to continue to learn and realize that all of these things, they are a very important part of what we do. Um, so just trying to educate yourself as much as possible. So I, I'm, I love, you know, just pointing people in the right direction when it comes to that. So you can email me at Leanna Carr 
the number one at gmail.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure that's all linked below so everyone can find it. Um, and I appreciate you giving your email because, um, yeah, that, that, that will really help some people out. So sure. I want to thank you again for coming on. I want to thank everyone for listening in and we will catch you soon. Awesome. Thank you.